So a couple of weeks ago, we began looking at the, uh, the mind of the hero, the things that uh, uh, make up his mind, uh, the, what, what it is that we need to focus on. We talked about uh, a couple of weeks ago about the guiding principles, how Jesus tells us to do unto others. And then we also have uh, where uh, in Micah we are told to do justice, give mercy, to walk humbly, and that that really is how we uh, do unto others as we would have them do to us. We talked the next week about triumph, tragedy, or I mean uh, tragedy, trauma, and triumph, and then how everyone has trauma, everyone has tragedy, but it is only through Christ that we are able to overcome and have that triumph. Last week, we talked about the new identity, and we talked about how our identity in Christ is first and foremost that we are no longer a being of the flesh, but that we are a being of spirit, a spirit that has been made alive that was not there, a new creation not a recreation, a new creation. We are transformed. We have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, it is no longer we who live in this body, but it is uh, Christ who lives in us. We then are clothed with Christ. Not only are we him on the inside, but we, we put him on on the outside. Our, our outer man, our inner man becomes who he is. It is his identity. And that if we are truly representing Christ faithfully in external and internal, that by, uh, by just by nature requires a higher quality of character from us, that we attain that, uh, that standard that he had for himself. Where we could not do it in the flesh, we can now do it in the spirit. And that's going to lead us to this week, talking about how heroes are strange and alien. Um, if someone walked in here, again, using that, we're going to use that superhero motif. If someone were to walk in here in uh, a cape and tights and a mask, they're going to stand out. They're not going to really fit in with, the, with the, the group here. We would notice them before we noticed anybody else. Even if someone of you decided to show up looking that way, I guarantee you you're going to stand out. We're going we're gonna take to notice, take notice of you. And that's okay. I cannot imagine uh, walking into a room and the Hulk being there and not, not, not noticing him in the room. I'm going to, you're going to notice the very large, green, lumbering uh, Hulk that is there. So, a stranger and an alien is someone who, in essence, doesn't fit in. And, and they don't fit in because their identity is something different. They, they look different on the outside. They, they come from a different place internally, a different set of values, a different set of ideas that motivate them and drive them and why they do what it is that they do. There was a, a, a time, let's see, oh man, it's been too many years ago now where uh, I went with a missionary friend of mine over to uh, Strasbourg, France, and we went over there. It was one of the first mission trips that I went on. We went there because, uh, uh, because man, uh, Europe has become very, very, very pagan last century, and the message of Christ is needed there as much as it is anywhere now. In fact, missionaries from Africa who used to get converted by the British and American missionaries are now sending their missionaries back into Europe because the people in Europe have abandoned the faith that they had. 
So we went out there and uh, we took our juniors and seniors. I was the youth minister at the time. We took the juniors and seniors and we, we loaded up. We had these backpacks that were full of uh, uh, in stacks and stacks of invitations to study the Bible in a language I couldn't speak. I couldn't speak and I just handed it out to people. And, and, and I sure hoped it said what I thought it said instead of something else. Um, so I, I'm not going to... If you've uh, been here on Wednesday night or something, you, you probably have heard the story. Um, I was with Dan. The story I'm going to tell this morning is about me and Dan, too. But Dan and I, we ended up in a, in a part of town that the missionary, I wish he had told us we were going into. Um, uh, we were going into this place, and there were all these apartment buildings that were broken down. The windows were busted out. We came out of an apartment building, and we got surrounded by 12 to 14 uh, Muslim youth. Uh, we got surrounded. It was a pretty, pretty uh, harrowing. Uh, I'm not going to share that story. Ask me sometime about that, and I'll share that with you. But Dan and I, on another, on another time, we went out in, in, in pairs as, as Christ sent them out. So Bren sent us out, and I had Dan. And Dan and I were were walking, and uh, we were trying to get back to the shuttle to the to the tram, I guess it is, th- uh, so that we could make it back in time for lunch. We'd been out doing the distributions, and we, this is before the days of the the GPS, where you pull out your phone and you can identify exactly where you are on a map. Uh, no, we had the paper map, and we were pulling it out. I mean, we, you cannot get more touristy than this, and we were trying to figure out. I, I'm convinced. I'm convinced I figured out where we are. This path is this road we're on, and so we just keep walking that way, and, and, he, and he trusts me. So we keep walking, and the road turns. And so we turn with it. We keep walking, and it turns a different direction. And we keep walking, and there's no variation. It's only this path. And there's a point when we're going along this path that I'm realizing that there's no other way out except forward or to go back where I came from. And that, that's, a, that's kind of a weird feeling to feel like, especially uh, as, the, as this path that we're on is getting more and more narrow. And I can't figure out why it is, because on the map, the thing isn't getting more narrow, but it is. And all of a sudden, we, we, we turn, and now we're up against this long brick wall of a building. I don't even know how we got up next to it. And this massive hedge that the further we walk, the more this hedge is coming and attacking us. It just, it's just getting more and more narrow. The hedge is coming against us. We get to the point, finally, where we reach the end of the building. The hedge has met the corner of the building. This road, it's gone. It's not in front of us anymore. There was no place to turn off. I honest to goodness have no idea how we ended up in this place. But here we are. And now the, we, either, we either go all the way back that we just came, or we push and push through the hedge and figure out what is on the other side of this hedge, on the other side of this building. Now, we don't know what, what we're doing. I, I turned to him and I said, what do, you, what do you think we ought to do? Do we push through? Do we? He, said, he said, let's push through. It's an adventure, right? And me being brilliant, I go with the teenager. Let's do that. So we, so we leap through this hedge and uh, find ourselves in this big open area. Okay, great. This was a good idea. So we start walking around. There's no people. We can, I can see the building just, it's, it's not 200 feet away. We, we could get, but there's another hedge. And now here we are. And we're in this big opening. I don't We're panicked. Got these big backpacks on. I turn around. And because we had come around this corner, this entire, this wall that had come up, this long brick wall. I turn around and, and now it's a window. And I'm standing there, and I lean in because I, because I can't really see it. I really can't see what's in it. So I go up to it like this, and I look in, and I see, like, 
30 to 40, three or four-year-olds looking back at me terrified from their little desks with their books. They're just looking at me. And I was like, oh, this doesn't bode well. This doesn't look good. There's some crazy white guy outside there looking in the windows. Apparently, it was a school, and I'm freaking everybody out. And I back away, and they're all pointing and speaking in their little French language at us. And, and I, so I look at Dan, and Dan goes, what do we do? I go, run. We ran back where we came from, went back up and around, and I don't, I don't know. We finally found our way back. I, I, I really cannot say that there are many other times in my life where I just felt like I, I did not belong. I did not, I did not fit in, okay? And that is based in one, I didn't understand the environment. I, I couldn't speak the language. I apparently couldn't read a map because I ended up there. And I just sat there and I thought, oh my goodness, how weird and how strange did I, did I come across? I mean, it probably wasn't as big shock to any of them that I was a foreigner, but I tried to put myself in the image of like a kindergartner in school looking out the window, and all of a sudden there's two French guys with backpacks on looking in the windows at them. You know, that, that's, that, that's weird. We ended up going back. I want to read this. Let's go Romans 8, um, verses 1 through 17. Paul says this. He wants us to understand that this this concept that we are strangers and aliens in this world actually originates in, in this new identity that we talked about last week. It, it originates in the fact that we are something new, something different that we were not before. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the sinful flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to to the spirit. So here's that here's that new identity. We're not a part of the flesh anymore. We are now of the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but you are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. But it is not according to the flesh 
to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption as sons. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His sufferings in order that we may also share in His glory. So Paul here is saying, you, you and I, that a line is drawn. We were flesh. We were of this body. We were of this world. We were of this mind and of these desires. This, this, this is who we were, but it is not who we are any longer. We are something different, and when we are something different, we find that we are going to have a different experience in this life. What is Living this life as an heir of God uh, has a very different experience than living it just in the flesh. Living this life with the hope of eternal life is very different than living this life without that hope. I have to tell you, I've done more funerals than I ever thought I would do uh, in my life when I became a minister. The number of funerals I do far outweighs the number of marriages that I have performed. And there is a stark difference between a funeral where the person was a Christian and the family were faithful followers as well. There is a difference between that funeral and the one where the person who has passed was not a believer and whose family do not know the Lord. At the death of a believer, there's hope. There's something to look forward to. In the midst of our loss, there's celebration. There's a reminder of what is to come after this life. But in the, at the funeral, when I do these funerals, I try to give encouragement. But there's just this sense of overwhelming loss. That's what it is. The way we experience the fundamental aspects of what it means to be human is completely different if you're a Christian. Death is not the same. Life is not the same. Family, it's not the same. So what I wanted us to do today is, as we embrace this new identity, to realize a couple of truths about this, uh, about being strange now to the world, because we are strange. And that's the first thing, is that we are now aliens to this world. Alien meaning a stranger in a strange land. Someone from another land, from another king, from another place that now is passing through. Superheroes would stick out like a sore thumb, as I mentioned. They're not going to blend into the background. The way they act, the way they dress, the way they behave, it is very different. 
For you and I as Christians, if we truly are living as Christ, there is no hiding him inside of us. There is no uh, adjusting the way we act, the way we talk, the way we behave. We are different now than we were prior. In fact, it is expected of us. So in 1 Peter 2, 11 through 12, Peter says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation. So there Peter is telling us, I mean, he wants us to understand that our existence now is one in which we no longer belong to this world. I'm, I'm going I'm, I'm to lay it out. If, if, you, if you fit in with the world around you, Christ is not coming through you. That sounds like a harsh thing to say, but it just is the truth. For what fellowship does the light have with the darkness? The source of water is either salty or fresh. What does unrighteousness have to do with righteousness? Nothing. They do not work together. The moment you and I, who once were dark, allowed Christ to place this light inside of us, we now stick out. And that's why Jesus says, does anyone, does anyone, light, a, does anyone light a light and place it under a bowl? Do, do they cover it? Do they hide the light? What is the point of light? The point of light is to eradicate darkness. No one turns on a light and then covers it so it can't be seen. If you're like me, my dad, oh my goodness, some of the worst trouble I ever got, some of the worst trouble I ever got into was leaving a light on when nobody was home. Why? Because that's a wasted light. No one can see it. What is the point? Why are you wasting the energy? Why are you wasting the electricity? If you're not going to be in the room, turn the light off. So the reality is, listen, if this light is in you, there is no point. Christ did not place his energy, his power, his spirit, and his light in you so that no one can see it. And the scriptures tell us, by nature, there are those who will be drawn to it. And there will be those that are repulsed by it. But we do not belong. If we are faithful, we will not belong. Which brings us to the second understanding that we've got to, we, need, we have to be okay with. It, it, and, and that is that aliens are going to face abuse. Right? Peter, Peter even gave it to us right there in the end of that last passage we read. He said, he said uh, uh, continue, continue to live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, of being evildoers, that in the end they will glorify God because of your good works. They won't recognize it now, but they will be forced to recognize it then. Aliens face, they face abuse. 
when you go overseas. They have these little belts that you buy. Those goofy little fan, flat fanny pack things. It's what you put your cash in. And you strap it up here, up underneath here, or you put it at your waist, but you're, but you're covering it. Why? Why? Because as a foreigner, if you're going along with a wallet in your pocket and all of your money is there, there are people who are trained to walk by and lift it right out of your jeans. They just pull it right out. And they know you. You stick out like a sore thumb. When you travel, people know. And they can take it. So you got to strap it around, and then you're walking around looking like a weirdo, grabbing money like this. Why do they do that? Because you're an easy target. You don't fit in. You don't belong. So when Christ calls us to be generous, will people abuse our generosity? They will. They'll take advantage of it. Will they take advantage of our kindness? Yeah, they will. But it's who we're supposed to be. You see, when you and I, we represent something that's different than what the world believes, they want to shut it down. I'm, oh, my goodness, our, our culture. I'm, I'm, I am scared and excited at the same time. I have to say this. I sit here and I watch this cancel culture that we are in. Do you know what I mean by cancel culture? Are you aware of what that phrase means? That fra- if you're not aware, that phrase means if you disagree with someone in uh, uh, politics, policy, anything like that, what they want is to literally cancel your life. They want you sued. They want you drained of finances. They want you to lose your job. They want you punished for not having the right way of thinking or the correct political doctrine. It's called cancel culture. They want to shut you down. They want you silenced. This world has drawn lines and has decided that you will comply you will not just be quiet if you disagree. See, that, that, that used to be the standard. When I was growing up, that was the standard, right? Well, if you don't agree with this, uh, we just had this live and let live mentality. That's what we were, that's what we were told, live and let live. Uh, uh, you, know, you don't have to agree with someone else's lifestyle or their choices uh, uh, to let them live their life. But it is no longer that way. Now, everyone must not only tolerate but affirm, actually affirm the lifestyle of other people. Why? Because you must be like them. The darkness hates the light. The darkness doesn't want the light present. We will face abuse in this life. So Jesus says this in John 15. He says, if the world hates you, Know that it hated me before it hated you, which is good. That's a good reminder to me that it, it, it's not me. That's what Jesus is saying, right? When you're hated by the world, it's not because you're a bad person. It's because you represent him and they don't like him. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but because I chose you out of the world, 
That's why the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. When you and I decide to live as Christ lived, it draws lines. It draws lines. I mentioned last week that um, uh, one of the one of the, the the greatest compliment I ever got was when a parent wrote me a letter saying that their kids came home from uh, class and said that that they saw Jesus in me. That, 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 I mean, it broke me down. I was crying. I, I still love that. And then and then. Uh, Chris came up and said, I remember the other one. Yeah, there is the, the other greatest compliment I have, and there's no better compliments than these, was this. Uh, two students came up. They were, they were two girls from Africa who had grown up. Their parents were uh, um, ambassadors. Thank you. They were ambassadors, and they were there in Atlanta. And, uh, and um, Therese came up, and she said, Mr. Slaughter, you are just like Jesus. I was like, Fantastic. I said, how so? And she said, people either love you or hate you. There's no one in the middle. Second best compliment I ever got. And I sat there and I thought about my class and I thought, man, that's, there was really no one that said, yeah, Mr. Slaughter, he's all right. It was, it was, Mr. Slaughter is awesome or Mr. Slaughter, terrible. We hate him. It, It was one or the other. But that's, when you represent Jesus, that is what happens. The more you become like him, the more people are either going to be drawn to you or repelled by you. The less like him you are, the more acceptable you are. So the one that has this new identity that is willing to be the hero has to be willing to face that abuse. I sat there and I think of this, I, I, and, and it's funny because he, going back into the superhero motif in all of the stories, they all have, they're all misunderstood, and even the good guys are opposed by other good guys. I think of Spider-Man, and I'm sorry to do this, uh, Spider-Man, he has uh, uh, the, the, the head of the daily, come on now, which one is it, Chris? Is it the bu- bugle? Okay, the planet with Superman, right? All right, got those straight up. I was right. Mr. Jameis, who's the head of the Daily Bugle, writes these horrible, nasty lies about Spider-Man to discredit him, to try to turn people against him. It doesn't matter. Whenever you represent something different, people will say things about you that are not true just to try to tear you down. They did it about Jesus. They did it about the disciples. They did it about the early Christians. The Romans believed that the early Christians, uh, sacri- they, that they, this is literally what they believed. They, they believed that uh, because, the, because the Christians referred to each other as brothers and sisters, uh, the Romans had, had the belief that the early Christians were incestuous, that they were family members that were marrying each other, literal brothers and literal sisters uh, in the flesh, and because of communion, because they partook of the body and the blood, they actually believed that the Christians every week hunted, stole a baby, cooked it in a loaf of bread, cut it up, and then that's what communion was. They actually thought that because that got spread around, and the people were terrified of the Christians. They hated the Christians because of this lie. It is what the darkness does to extinguish the light. 
is to lie about it so that people attack it, reject it. And then one of the other things that we see I wanted to throw in here is that aliens, when you are different, when you stand out, it's important that you gather together. And this is a universal principle. Whether we're talking about uh, uh, someone from a different country who comes into this country. If you go into the major cities, it's interesting. There's, there's a Chinatown, right? The big cities in America, there's a Chinatown. There's a Little Italy. Why? Because people, when they came here, faced a different culture, a different language, a different way of doing things. And so in order to, to be more comfortable, they, they went and lived with people who were like-minded, who talked like them, acted like them, that they felt the most comfortable with. There was strength in numbers. And we still do this today. If you, there have been these studies looking at uh, the online social media that, that the social media has actually created one of the worst isolation. Here we are, this, this big internet that's supposed to bring all these people together, and what do we do? All we have done is learn to block people who do not think exactly like us. We have come up with these internet purity tests, and if people do not think like us exactly, we block them, and we create these echo chambers where all we hear is what we want to hear. But in this, we recognize that because we stand out, we need each other. I need you. I, I can't, I, I, I cannot do this on my own. There is strength in numbers. There is power in numbers. There is unity in the body. If you don't realize it, that is why we have the church. In America, we have a, it is a blessing of ease, but it's also a curse of ease. Your neighbors, your family, even if they don't believe in Jesus, most of them probably behave in ways because they were Acceptable ways because they were raised in Christian homes or knew there there is that 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 sense and so you can be comfortable around people that may not be Christian. That's great. If you go outside of America, the church is your family. Your physical blood may not be accepting of you because of your faith. It is that radical. That. Uh, rejecting. You go outside of this country and they rely on each other in a way that we do not rely on each other here. They absolutely require that they are together because they know that on their own they will be picked off. The enemy will come after them. They spend much, when you look at the first century Christians, they met every night in homes, after work, every night, because they needed each other. Somehow we've convinced ourselves that we do not. Romans 12, 3 to 8, he says this, he says, For by the grace given to me, this is Paul, I say to everyone among you, 
Do not think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if serving in our if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Here we see Paul uh, uh, laying out that When we stand out from the world, there is an expectation by God that we are supposed to gather together. Not all superheroes have the same power. Some have x-ray vision, some have flight, some have super strength. You put them together, you've got a pretty tough team, which is why in your comic books and in movies, you have the Justice Leagues and the Avengers, where they are not able to merely do things on their own, they gather together in groups because in groups they are stronger. In groups they are able to hold each other accountable. They're able to complete one another. It is supposed to be that way with us. There is not one of us that does not need the other person in this room. There's not one of us that on our own can walk out there and and, and are fully completed in the gifts to do... uh, the work that we are supposed to do. God designed it that way on purpose. You are empowered by the Holy Spirit with unique and powerful gifts that are meant to be worked in conjunction with the rest of this body. And it is only together that we are powerful, as powerful as we are supposed to be. This body as a a family, we're supposed to be living together, working together, Worshiping together, rebuking each other, forgiving each other, teaching each other, training each other, encouraging each other. If we have a new identity and we want to remain, if I want to remain this new creation within, to remain the image of Christ without, This is what is coming my way. I have to be ready. I have to be okay with the fact I am to be different. I am to stand out. I am not to belong. I will face abuse, and I need support. Because if you don't embrace those things, you're never going to reach the potential Christ has for you. So I have a question this morning. This is the question. Each one of us have to ask, am I going to hold to the ideals of this new identity, this new call? Or do I assimilate back into the world I was once a part of? So things go easier, do I dim my light? So that I don't get opposition in the world, do I close my mouth? Because other people might be on, the the craziest thing to me 
is how I can offend people by how I choose to live. I'm not even, I won't, I'm not, I cannot think of an instance in my life where I went out and tried to forcefully compel someone to obey Jesus. I cannot think of one instance in my life, and yet there are people who are angry at me because I choose to live according to Christ's teaching. Why? Just because the very fact that I choose that for myself when they have not brings them shame and guilt. I'm not making them feel guilty. I'm not bringing shame on them. But they feel it. If they didn't feel it, they wouldn't attack us. But they feel it. So am I going to hide that? Am I going to reassimilate back into the world? I mean, hey, I've got my salvation. I'm just going to recede back and kind of float through life, make sure things are easy on me. Or do I do what I'm supposed to do? When we were in France, people knew that we were American. Ah, you can try. I tried really hard to fit in. Went into one place where they where they spoke uh, where they spoke French, and I had I had practiced and practiced and practiced. It was it was McDonald's, by the way. But I went, went into this McDonald's, and I had practiced and practiced how to order a Coca-Cola in French. It's not as hard as you think, because it's it's still called Coke. So I go in, I go up to the counter, and I, and I said it. I, I, I ordered a soda. The person behind the counter looked at me, got a snarl on his face, and said, I'm sorry, are you asking for a Coke? So disgusted that I had dared to try to speak French and butchered his language the way I did. So disgusted. At that point, I realized I'm not going to fit in. And that's okay. I don't need to. You know what the world hates worse? Really. You think about that anger that he had. He knew I was an American by the way I came up to him. But what made him angry was that I tried to present myself as something different. The worst thing you can do is present yourself as a, to claim Christ and present yourself like you're not different. It really is the greatest insult. So I just ask you, are you going to hold to your ideals? Reassimilate back in. Let's stand. We're going to sing our song of invitation. And if there's anything on your hearts, anything that's that's uh, burdening you today, you can just come forward while we stand and while we sing um, our song together. If you have any prayer requests, anything on your heart, please do not hesitate to come.